Hello and welcome to this Christmas week episode of Banter on the Parkway. I am your host, Brian, from BannersOnThePartway.com. I am joined, as always, not as always, but once again, by the man who's been in and out of the team, to be honest. Um, he, he really has struggled to establish much of a rhythm this year. It's Brad. Brad, how much of the fact that I keep dropping you... Um, is making you want to maybe move in January to uh, a podcast where you can play more frequently? Um, I'm not sure what podcast that would be, since my interests and expertise uh, occupy a really thin swath of what people look for, and I'm not sure that Matt Norlander is just going to suddenly start having me on his podcast. Yeah, well, I think actually Gary Parrish hosts that podcast, and Matt Norlander is his co-host or something. But uh, I agree. <laughs> anyway, um, and then we we also are joined once again uh, by the fat James Harden. It's Braden. Braden, how you doing? <laughs> um, I'm I'm doing well. I'll take that comparison because James Harden can make it rain. And the picture that we've seen of him from last week, I don't know if you can get chubbier than that dude. Because right. man, <laughs> he is thick with like ten C's. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I, I respect it, though. Um, you know, I, I needed a little Ron Rollerson in my life, maybe a little Robert Tractor trailer. And um, obviously, neither of those guys are in the league anymore. But uh, James Harden is, is filling that that need uh, nicely for me. So um, the news this week uh, is good. Uh, Xavier is ranked. They are at 22nd in both polls. They're still um, fighting their way up in Ken Palm. Um they're they're up in the top 50 in Ken Palm though they're in 48th now um having started the year 65th so uh they're moving up in that um but obviously uh the AP and the coaches have taken notice and decided to rank Xavier uh they are no longer cowards um teams that are not ranked um but are in the news is Kentucky and just a really quick aside on Kentucky um John Calipari came out and made a tweet storm about uh, one of his players, Cameron Fletcher, who he's uh, asked to take a leave from the team. Um, I personally find this uh, a bad move, um, honestly. I think it's a little classless. Um, Kentucky has plummeted from 12th in Ken Palm to 50th at this point. They're one in five uh, for the first time in a couple decades. Um, and they lost a tough game to North Carolina on Saturday. Um, and Calipari's public comment is to talk about how, um, one of the 19 year old kids on his team, um, isn't performing the way he wants. So he's asking him to take uh, a time away from the team for actions that he considered detrimental. Um, I think, you know, obviously, uh, you want to praise in private and punish in public is what uh, good leaders do. So um, good job, John Calipari. Um, you totally aren't coming across as uh, a thin-skinned child right now. So anyway, um, Kentucky's not the only big program struggling, though. Uh, Duke has had their struggles this year. Um, Louisville lost by 37. Uh, there have been some big programs struggling. Brad, is this a result of COVID? Is it a result of there being a lot more uh, talent spread this year? Um, is it because the NCAA 
um, did, you know, the unthinkable and let players transfer between programs, um, which, you know, everyone else is not allowed to change jobs, but these overprivileged kids are. Brad, why is it that we see some big programs struggling this year? I think a lot of it is COVID um, and that kind of ties in really with uh, Calipari and his style has caught on everywhere where he really isn't much of a coach. He just recruits five-star talents, throws them out there and hopes for the best. And when you have three or four months for those guys to play together and come together as a team, that's going to work more often than it doesn't. Um, You can just overwhelm people with talent. I think what we're seeing now is the guys who can really coach and who know how to get the best out of the players that they have are faring better. Um, With the limited practice time, everybody's having to take these odd little choppy breaks or they're missing a couple guys or something like that. For the Louisville thing, it could just be Chris Mack's unfortunate ongoing struggle uh, with beating Wisconsin in televised games. Um, This is not the most serious example of that, obviously. And some of it is it's just college basketball. I mean, you don't expect to see Kentucky go one and five, but you don't expect them to be a one seed in the NIT and get knocked out in the first round like they did a few years back either. Uh, these things happen. Um, there's ebbs and flows to it. I do think that it is shown uh, – it's given a chance for Coach Steele to show that he can coach a little bit. Uh, if you just look at the last seven seconds of Xavier's most recent game, which I know we're going to get to – Uh, You could see one team there was very well drilled and knew what they should do, and the other team wasn't, and that ultimately is what freed Adam Kunkel up to take that shot. So um, the million-dollar question is, is Steve Wojciechowski a good coach? Um, It makes you think. It makes you think. It's uh, a quandary for sure. Um, Much like the riddle of the Sphinx, I don't think it'll ever be solved. Anyway, uh, Xavier was in action this week. They played on Sunday, and it was a barn burner, um, not in the sense that it was played in Hinkle Fieldhouse, um, but it was a high-scoring game. Xavier came away with a 91-88 straight over Marquette. Braden, uh, what did we learn about Xavier this game? What we learned was that they were able to come back after being off for a week and still pretty much were in stride which was pretty impressive to me, at least. I thought they'd be pretty rusty, which they did look a little bit at the start of the game, but they really found their footing and got their flow going on offense again. Um, What stood out to me was that Paul Scruggs is still just a beast. He put up 29 points in this game, dished out six assists, pulled in four boards. And I, I don't know. I just It seems like he is really taking this team uh, over to some extent. He he uses the ball a lot, but never feels like he's just uh, hogging it. He keeps it moving and then finds his spots on offense. Nate Johnson is still shooting the ball incredibly well. Got an inexcusable 0 of 2 from inside the arc, so I don't know what the heck's going on there. But he was 4 of 6 from 3. Adam Kunkel came in and hit the game winner, but also dropped 22. But the really big thing that stands out to me is that everybody, with the exception of Brian Griffin, uh, had an O rating over 100. Uh, Griffin only had a 56, but then you look, Kunkel, Colby Jones, Carter, Johnson, Fremantle, and Scruggs all had O ratings over 100. And I was thinking about this game. I don't think there there's any way the team from last year would win a game that was just as 
high-paced offense as this one was, but these guys really found their flow on offense. They were knocking down shots. The ball kept moving. So I was just really happy we were able to get this win, especially um, going into a game at Creighton and then home against Villanova. I think it was really important to get that first conference win after a week off. It, the shooting in that game brought Xavier all the way up to 41.5% from behind the arc for the season. That's good for 10th in the nation, um, which is a little bit hard to fathom after the last couple of seasons. I mean, a lot of that is down to Nate Johnson's unholy 59% from deep, but uh, Paul Scruggs is all the way up to 37%. You got Fremantle and Tandy are both over 40%. I, like I briefly mentioned before, I really thought that the last seven seconds of this game showed a lot, both about the team and the coaching. Uh, first, it was a really good set to get Paul Scruggs onto his left hand so he could spin back right. He ended up not having to spin, but you can see that's what the purpose of the set is. Um, <clears throat> Kunkel and Johnson were in the corners. Steele had his team set in what, I mean, textbook fashion for an end of game play. Uh, Scruggs got to his right hand, got the ball up on the rim, and he missed, but rather than just watch the miss, I guess, which I don't know how many times you've seen somebody that, he was the first person then back up in the air to tip the ball. Uh, Kunkel ran it down, and you could see Marquette's defense collapsed. They either didn't know what they were supposed to be doing, which is a coaching problem, or they were told what they were supposed to be doing and ignored it, which is also a coaching problem. Xavier's players all react to spots on the floor rather than to the ball, which in a scramble situation is what you're supposed to do. Um, Colby Jones was going to be back on defense. Kunkel was coming high side for cover. That essentially left Xavier with three shooters open with two and a half seconds left. Kunkel kept the ball um, because I think he was feeling it. And obviously 20 points in the second half would kind of suggest that was the case. Um, but he had options open. Freeman was already digging back under the hoop too. I think what this game showed us is that Xavier can play a high-scoring, high-pace, high-intensity game, but still keep their heads about them. Um, they made the play when they needed to, and Marquette didn't. And, you know, X got on the offensive glass for once really well, 40% on the offensive rebounding rate, and only turned the ball over 11 times in a game that had about 3,000 possessions in it. So I think we learned a lot about this team. And almost all of it was good. Braden, how exactly many possessions was this team? Was this game? It was played at a very nice pace. Uh, Sixty-nine possessions. Wow, that is a uh, that's two games in a row where uh, the pace has been pretty nice. Um, it's like Christmas game early. Actually, <laughs> I thought actually um, we. Xavier might not be as bad on the defensive glass as we thought they were. Um, that has been kind of the, well, not the, there have been a lot of worrying things about this team, um, such as going to overtime against Eastern Kentucky. Um, but that has been kind of the consistent thing that you can point at and say that needs to improve. Um, Marquette is a team that really gets the offensive glass well against Creighton. Um, when they went on the road and beat them, they had 14 offensive rebounds. They got back 44% of their own misses on Sunday. Um, they only had eight offensive rebounds. They didn't even get back 30% of their misses. Xavier did a great job of keeping uh, Garcia 
and uh, Theo John off the off the offensive glass. And I think that was a big key to Xavier being able to win is that they they really beat him up uh, on the glass at both ends. Um, and so I think that bodes well for this season going forward that Xavier was able to do that against a high major team that really puts a lot of stake in their ability to get to the boards. Um, I just to add to add to that point, the one thing that Marquette really does well is guard rebound um, or at least swingman rebound with Justin Lewis and Jamal Kane. And like Braden mentioned, Paul Scruggs was doing a little bit of everything. All four of his rebounds were defensive rebounds. Uh, Nate Johnson had had uh, four defensive rebounds as well. So Xavier was having a lot of trouble with guard rebounding earlier in the year, and their guards did a good job of sealing out and keeping Kane and Lewis off the offensive glass. Um, Lewis had zero offensive rebounds. Kane had one. And they both came in ranked very highly in the nation in offensive rebounding rate. So obviously the guy that a lot of people have been talking about since this game um, is Dontarius James. No, uh, is Adam Kunkel. Um, which one of his shots did you guys find the most ridiculous, though? Because he seemed to be putting on a clinic in hitting shots that when he shot them, you were like, I, I don't. <laughs> how does that go in? Um, so was it the game winner? Was it the the double clutch and one? What what did you guys think here? I personally thought the double clutch and one because he goes up into the air just like a regular jump shot. I can't remember who it was, hit him on his left arm. And you could see he just gathers himself in midair, you know, still in the air, which I thought was kind of impressive because I don't hang for that long. And he just gathered himself and then put it up and hit it and then walked over to the bench to start uh, getting some daps for hitting an, an, just a ridiculous shot. I thought that one was really nice and that was where you I thought you could really start to tell that he was just having an absolutely bonkers game because he did a few open shots but that one really just kind of showed that he was in the zone I, I gotta go with the game winner uh and in the sake of full disclosure I was watching this game on my phone at my daughter's soccer game um and when he caught that rebound I completely quit paying attention to my offspring and was wondering like why he was getting farther away from the hoop. I mean, he caught it looking like he thought we needed three. And I think he was just finding his rhythm, never took his eyes off the rim. He's got three guys bearing down on him in the air when he lets go of it. And when he lets go of it, he has that release and the instant look like he knew it was gone right going right away. Obviously Paul Scruggs uh, called game on it before it went. I jumped up in the bleachers and celebrated right in the middle of nothing happening in a 13-year-old girl's soccer game, which made everyone turn and stare at me because obviously the bleachers aren't very full now. But, I mean, that shot was crazy. He got his feet under him, but he never really gets his shoulders all the way square, and he shoots it kind of like one of those where the buzzer sounding is the one where you're supposed to go uh, back to your bench to start the game, and he just chucks up like a last shoot-around shot or something. Ah, that kid can play. Uh, that's a great pickup from Coach Steele. Go ahead, Braden. That's one thing I do love about that last shot is it's a tie game, and there's never any sort of look that he's going to try to, like, create contact or go to the rim. He's just like, I've caught an offensive rebound. I'm stepping back and hitting a three. Like, that's what's going to happen. 
Yeah, I think he should have um, waited till the buzzer sounded and then jumped toward someone but not actually made contact and then kind of thrown the ball in the air, Jaron Cumberland style. Um, <laughs> <Who did that? laughs> uh, but in, in all seriousness, he seems to be really adept at finding his spot. Um, I don't know if you guys, well, I'm sure you did. Um, he, he caught the ball on the right wing at one point and decided he wanted to shoot from the left elbow. And he, he did a great job of getting himself into that spot and then knocking his shot down. It seems like when he gets the ball, he knows where he wants to shoot from. And if it's not where he catches it, he does really well at getting himself there and getting himself in a position to shoot the ball. Um, and he did that against, uh, you know, a Marquette team that is not awesome at defense, but they're not terrible at it. Um, they're, they're 20 spots ahead of Xavier in defense. So um, it's not a bad defense. He did that too. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was, he and Paul Scruggs were obviously the story Sunday, um, but the big East was a story Sunday. Braden, can you walk us through um, some of the big, big East results this week, starting with the, the two other big East games on Sunday? Yeah, so Creighton and Connecticut, or UConn as they're known, uh, played before X Marquette. And Wait, the big what? story coming out of this one, yeah, they're called UConn. I don't know why they named themselves after a territory in Canada, but, but interesting move. Big story in this one, though, was uh, James Booknight dropped 40 points in a losing effort. Uh, the rest of his team only scored 34 points, which is freaking embarrassing. But he just went absolutely nuts. He shot 12 uh, shots from two, 12 from three, and 12 from the line. And he was just scoring from every conceivable way. And uh, he got a nice and one towards the end of the game, and you really thought UConn was going to win this one. Then R.J. Cole uh, missed his first two free throws of the season. He had been shooting 100% up until then. Uh, Bricked two at the worst possible time. And uh, Creighton came up and Damian Jefferson hit a uh, game-tying shot to send it to overtime. And Creighton ended up uh, getting just enough to get this one over the line. Uh, Christian Bishop caught a lob from uh, Zagorowski, and that put them up, I want to say, six. And that pretty much did it. Uh, Zagorowski didn't have a great game, but Creighton did have five guys in double figures. Bishop led the way with 19. So it was kind of a classic Creighton performance. They got a little bit from everybody. They shot a just disgusting seven of 27 from three, but uh, they had just enough to get it over the line. Zagorowski was the, the preseason big East player of the year. I don't know that you can make an argument right now that he has been the best player in the big East. I don't even think you can make an argument. He's been the best guard in the big East. Um, I think you would say book night has been better. Uh, Scruggs has definitely been better. Um, probably Gillespie has been better. Um, but it's interesting, like, he had that expectation put on him. He had a good year last year, but um, this year his numbers all across the board are worse than they were last year. So it'll be interesting to see how he does. I mean, they're adjusting to Tyshawn Alexander leaving, um, and he was a huge player for them. But it'll be interesting to see if he can kind of get it together and start um, – start putting together the kind of season that people thought he was going to have. Cause I think right now um, he's not doing it, but anyway, continue. Um, what happened uh, after? Just, they- just a little counterpoint on Zach 
Jurowski, though, his O rating against UConn was a 69. So I'd actually make the contention that he's been the best guard in the Big East. Um, he's definitely been the nicest guard in the Big East. You got me. So, you know, Book Knight drops 40, but, you know, move aside, because Zagorowski's out here. He's playing 4D chess on these clowns. Unbelievable. He probably he probably was sitting there doing the math in his head and drop kicked the ball into the stands at one point, being like, no, trust me, guys. When we see the box score, this is going to make sense. Anyway, <laughs> Providence so Providence Seton Hall, this one was actually a pretty good game. It was pretty back and forth. Um, Providence looked like they were going to put it away in regulation and they were up three. And then Mamu Kalishvili drove into the lane. And for some reason, God only knows why uh, a Providence player decided to foul him with five seconds to go. He hit the, hit the free throw to tie it and send it to overtime in overtime. Um, until the final 10 seconds, both teams had only scored five points. So it was kind of a disgusting overtime to watch. And it was AJ Reeves who hit a three for Providence to put them up three. Seton Hall did have a chance, but to call Molson missed the three and that pretty much did it. Um, for Seton Hall though, Mamu Kalishvili went for 20. He wasn't his most efficient, he was 0 of 4 from 3, only 8 of 12 from the line. But he is their go-to guy this year, so I feel like he was using most of their possessions because that's just kind of what he needs to do. Jared Roden had a good game, as did Miles Kale. But for Providence, Jared Bynum uh, has continued his theme of shooting like absolute crap, but he did dish out 8 assists with only 2 turnovers. David Duke went for a double-double. He pulled in 10 defensive rebounds. Didn't shoot the greatest, but he was 8 of 8 from the line. And then surprisingly, Nate Watson had a good game. He was 10 of 16 from inside the arc. He pulled in 11 boards and was three of four from the line. So it just goes to show that when Jason Carter's not on the floor, he can be a decent player. But uh, And in other news, Greg Gant's haircut hasn't really gotten any better. It's not as bad, but goodness gracious, that guy just needs... <laughs> what? I also noticed that Duke got away with a bit of a travel. Um, in in assisting the game-winning basket. And by a bit, I mean possibly the biggest travel in basketball history. Yeah, he took, uh, I, I think it was like five steps and then came to a jump stop and then just kind of started sliding towards the corner because he was just like, ooh, I need to get further that way to make this pass. And he did. So, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And apparently what you got to do is cheat. So, <laughs> and hey, then... Just sounds like heady basketball to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, then, when he did like the Michael Jackson leg kick and hit him with a shamoun, like, <laughs> like, okay, it's a tribute. It's a tribute. You can't call him for traveling. <laughs> anyway, Brayden, um, did anything hilarious happen last night? Well, you know, Sunday, most of the games Sunday filled me with hope, but then St. John's and Georgetown had to go out and play a game that you'd expect them to play. So yes, I did throw in that Southern Illinois went to the barn that is Hinkle Fieldhouse and beat Butler by a score of 76 to 73. And at one point they led by 16 in the second half. So if you look at the, uh, the Ken Palm win probability, their win probability creeps over 50% uh, at, towards the end of the first half and never drops below that mark again. So they pretty much owned this one for the last 25 minutes or so. They had two guys score over 20, and Butler just uh, 
sucked. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. They sucked, and it was absolutely delicious to watch. Okay. okay. There we go. Jer Bolden um, played 37 minutes, uh, scored six points. He is supposed to be kind of their their big um, replacement for Kamar Baldwin and some of the production they got out of Sean McDermott. Um, and he's not necessarily gotten it done this year. Uh, although this is only their their fourth game of the season, um, but they are one and three, so clearly, clearly something has gone right in 2020. Um, on to more more Xavier terms. Um, Kiki Tandy has played 31 minutes over the last three games. Now, do we see that as the result of him being a poor fit for this team, or is it a result of the depth of this team? Brad, what do you think? I think it's to waffle a little bit of both. The things that Tandy does well are handle the ball and shoot from deep. And right now, um, Xavier is not going to move Paul Scruggs um, away from primary ball handling um, when Dwan Odom isn't out there. And when Odom is out there, he's been doing very well. So that kind of keeps Tandy away from the point guard position. Tandy is shooting 40% from deep, but Xavier's also getting good three-point shooting from Scruggs, Fremantle, and just otherworldly three-point shooting from Nate Johnson. That kind of leads to the other issue is that Tandy is not a great defensive player. Um, as quick as he is offensively, he has slow feet on defense. Um, you can't really play he and Fremantle at the same time because teams have noticed that, and they will try to isolate him on a ball handler in a big in a pick and roll situation and Fremantle, like we talked about is having a hard time getting his hips around you combine that with tandy having uh slower feet working around screens and it's leading to serious defensive issues for xavier um if he wants to play more which i'm assuming he does um though i will say his coach hasn't sent out a big thing uh making fun of him for wanting to play more basketball like they do down in kentucky um if he wants to play more, he's going to have to get better defensively because the skill set that he brings right now, Travis Steele is finding uh, from other guys. You know, it, Xavier's very deep at the guard position, especially since uh, Colby Jones is playing a lot as a guard and Adam Kunkel became eligible. There's a lot of guys out there. There's a lot of competition. And right now, Tandy just really isn't doing something to set himself apart. He's He's playing well offensively. He's not forcing himself into that into that spot. And honestly, that's been a little bit of a surprise to me. I expected to see him uh, scoring a lot this year and playing a lot of minutes. Uh, as it currently stands, he hasn't even started a game, um, the game that maybe you would have expected him to. Coach Steele went with Colby Jones instead. And I think that uh, – Tandy's going to have to take a long look at what he wants to do with this, whether he's going to try to improve here at X or if he's going to go somewhere where he can be an automatic write in for one of those five spots in the starting lineup. And I know that's a lot to put on the last three games that he's played, but you can see that now as, as things are heating up here, those have been Xavier's three most important games. You can see where uh, coach Steele is leaning with his rotation. Uh, to push back a little bit, 
here. I think it does have more to do with depth than it does Tandy. Um, Xavier, I think he would have played more if they'd have had their full roster from the beginning. But Coach Steele is trying to get Jones, Kunkel, Wiltshire all blooded in, and they all play the same position as Tandy. They're all off-the-ball guards. Um, Jones gets on the ball a little bit more, but he, he's still not the guy that you're going to have walk it up 20 minutes a game. Um, I think Coach Steele is trying to get those guys in the rotation, get them their minutes, and Kiki is is suffering as a result of that. Right now, um, to this point in the season, he's played um, <clears throat> 53.5 percent of the available minutes if you look at the 2008 team um bj raymond who was a big part of that team only played 57.6 percent of the available minutes it wasn't like he was out there all the time um but he was a major contributor in limited minutes i think that's what xavier's going to have this year is a lot of guys who can contribute even though their minutes aren't huge um and interestingly enough um Adrian Graves also got 18% of the minutes on that team. Um, and he's an odd story. But anyway, um, but I think that Xavier has the depth this year that not everybody's going to get a whole ton of minutes off the bench, but they're going to have dudes who, when they come in off the bench, are going to make an instant impact. Obviously, Sunday, Kunkel did it um, against Oklahoma. Basically, everyone they brought off the bench did it because no one could miss a shot. Um, but yeah, I, I don't. I think it has more to do with the depth and the fact that Coach Steele got three players in that position eligible three games ago, and he's trying to get them up to speed in the team as games go on. Um, so, Braden, um, speaking of eligible, Ben Stanley um, is eligible. He played Sunday. He only played six minutes. I think he did not um, record a whole bunch of stats. Um, <clears throat> He, uh, yeah, he played six minutes. He was 0 for 1 from the floor, had two defensive rebounds, a turnover, and a foul. Um, so where does he fit in on this team? We talked about the depth, and he adds more of it. And, and does he help in any of the things this team's not good at? Uh, and just as a side, I think Ben Stanley might be the most beloved, the p- player in Xavier history who was most beloved before ever actually playing a game. Um, and Best uh, Stanbrook? I don't know, man. Did you watch the Ben Stanley camera follow Ben Stanley show? I don't know what it's called. I don't remember what they called Mic'd it. Um, Mic'd up with uh, Ben Stanley. Um, I, I think he had a lot of people who are already very much Ben Stanley fans before he ever played a minute for Xavier. Um, but anyway, Braden, um, how does he fit in? Does he help this team's weaknesses? Um, you know, obviously he's not up to speed right now because he's missed the first uh, seven games of the season. But but what can we expect out of him? I think what we can expect out of him is he's going to be a very high energy guy and he's going to crash the defensive glass. I mean, he pulled in two defensive boards in only six minutes. And <clears throat> I think that's going to be something that he's gonna bring value to is a lot of defensive rebounding and in only six minutes he was playing with just a tremendous amount of energy and effort i know that's not something that really is going to show up in the box score but i feel like it is important if he's coming off the bench he's just going to work hard 
Um, offensively, I feel like, you know, he didn't have a great outing against Marquette. He didn't play a whole lot, and he's been only doing uh, scout team stuff in practice for the past month. But I think once he gets up to speed, he's just going to be another guy that you can throw the ball to, and he could get you a bucket every now and then. Obviously, in the Marquette game, we had a bunch of people doing that already, so it wasn't necessarily the day to kind of get him up to speed. But I think that's going to be his thing, is going to be defensive rebounding, and then he's just going to be another dude that can you know put, put in 10 if you need him to. But I think he's just going to add that depth. He played really hard on defense, and I think that's really just going to be uh, his area that he operates in. I mean, to, not to keep taking it back to the 2018, but they were awesome. Um, it kind of reminds me of a C.J. Anderson type um, in that he's he he plays a forward position, even though he's not that big. I think both guys are six foot six, um, and neither one of them is going to be the dude you throw the ball to spotting up on the three-point line, but they both get in there, bang around, um, can grab you some points, um, grab you some rebounds. Uh, and just do a little bit of everything uh, as far as glue guy and, and effort goes. And obviously, C.J. Anderson is a player that a lot of Xavier fans have fond memories of in his two years here. I think Ben Stanley um, can follow in those footsteps um, and, and, you know, kind of carve out a similar legacy for himself um, once he gets up to speed. Um, Brad, did you have your hand up or were you just scratching your face? Uh, that was aimless beard scratching, but I actually do uh, agree with with that uh, with that analogy. Uh, I will say that based on Stanley's mic'd up, he is something somewhat less vulgar than C.J. Anderson. And also, if they could figure out a way to somehow get him mic'd up during every game, I would listen to that over Dickie Simpkins every single time, even if Ben Stanley never even addressed what was happening on the court. It would be far more entertaining than listening to Dickie Simpkins uh, wax lyrical about the 1970s. I, he kept talking about how how like the NCAA was just being so nice to Adam Kunkel by giving him this waiver. And it drove me nuts. Like they should not be praised for doing the right thing after exhausting every other option. Like that it it was crazy. He kept being like, oh, the NCAA, they're so good to these kids. And I'm like, shut up, Dicky. Also quit saying hashtag splash. But anyway, um, we're going to move on from that before I say something I'll truly regret. Um, but I meant every word of it. Uh, questions. Uh, we had we have a couple. Um, one from at Bubba Cody. Um, what are the odds that they can all go home for Christmas and come back without another COVID shutdown? Uh, Coach Steele addressed this in his press conference yesterday. Um, he said they talked to administrators. They talked to um, Seton Hall, who would be Xavier's next opponent, um, after going home. And um, they feel confident that all these guys can go home for Christmas and uh, have you know testing and things done um, in time for them to come back and be able to play the games as they're scheduled. Um, I certainly am not in favor of taking undue risk but i am in favor of college kids getting to go see their families for christmas um and so i would i i I think i kind of fall in with coach Steele here if it's safe and feasible um it's something that you really don't have an excuse to not do um 
and, and the other one we got was from at XU Keith. Um, discuss fans' concern about post defense and Art Carter's offensive contribution. So, um, Brad, um, what 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 do you have to say about Xavier's post defense and Jason Carter's offensive contributions? Um, I'll start with Xavier's post defense, and it is a Good. bit of a, a bit of a concern. Um, I don't know if there's necessarily an easy fix for it this year. I think Xavier may struggle to defend in the post this season. Uh, that's probably going to be a story that we run with all season. They at least shored up the defensive rebounding in the last game. Um, and that'll help if you can hold teams to one shot and get away with it. That's going to be the way to go forward because I just don't see them doing a whole lot of walling up and stopping guys inside. Uh, Zach Fremantle is a great offensive player. I think with, I'm comfortable saying that he's not a great defensive player. He will block shots coming weak side. I think Brian Griffin adds a little bit in there, but right now he. And again, he's facing a much different uh, level of player than he's used to. I Xavier's post defense is going to be a thing to watch, but you know, if they continue to shoot 41.5% behind the arc, maybe they can just gun their way out of some of that trouble. And I don't think it's a fatal flaw. Um, they're not great. It's not crippling. As far as Jason Carter, um, I'll be honest, when I looked at this, I kind of wondered what uh, what Keith was wanting from Carter this year. He's averaging 7.1 points, 7.9 boards, and 1.5 assists per game. He is he's a glue guy. Uh, who does a good job doing what he's supposed to do. He put in 20 against Eastern Kentucky, but that's not what he's here to do. Um, He's going to get you some points. He's going to rebound well. He's playing a lot more like he did in his freshman year uh, than he did last year, which is obviously a good thing. He continues to shoot the three-pointer with some frequency, and I'm not convinced that that's really – his best game and he's struggling a little bit more from the line this year than he normally does. Uh, The other hand, his offensive rating is 122, which is very high. Uh, His turnover rate is 8.8, which is very low. Um, He's rebounding. Well, he's reliable. He's a safe set of hands. Um, Like I said, he's, his game is so unsexy that it is sexy. He's like that, that old flannel, um, you can count on Jason Carter to be there. I mean, he banged a huge three against Marquette. He's going to do the stuff that he needs to do. If you're banking on him to score, you know, between 10 and 15 points, then something has gone wrong. I think Jason Carter's offensive output is pretty much where it needs to be this year. Yeah, I think to get guys like Shrugs and Tandy and um, Tunkle the shots they need, because uh, Nate Johnson is a great shooter but he doesn't shoot a lot he's not taking up a lot of shots but you have to have a couple guys out there who don't take up a lot of shots you know and johnson and carter have been that for xavier guys who um plan a when they come down the floor although plan a should be to have nate johnson shoot a three because he's <laughs> ridiculous right now um but you know they aren't guys who are going to have to shoot you know once every three possessions they're they're guys who you know they'll get their shots where they can um they'll knock a few down uh, Carter's made two of the bigger shots this year, um, but 
Yeah, I, I, I think you need to have guys like Carter, like Johnson, who don't take that many possessions and can help elevate the other guys on the floor um, if they do the glue guy stuff like those two guys do so well. Um, so we also put out a poll um, asking where, if you had to rank Xavier nationally, would you rank them? And 78.4% uh, of you, let me just make sure this is up to date. This is up to the minute. Um, although it won't be by the time you're you're listening to this, but 78.4% of you say 15 to 25% or 15 to 25, sorry. 12.1% um, of you say top 15, 8.7% uh, of you say 26 to 40. And uh, the Butler fans, fans found our Twitter feed again, 0.8% uh, say below 40th. <coughs> Brad, where would you rank this team if you had to rank them right now? Um. Not in the top 25. Uh, I think that this is a good team. I think that watching them so far this year has been so much more enjoyable than the last couple of years have been. But I'm not yet comfortable elevating them up into the top 25. I, I lean heavily into the metrics, mostly because they're math, and I don't understand math, so it seems like magic to me, so I'm fascinated by it. Um, Xavier's 48th in the Ken Palm right now. A lot of that is because the preseason numbers haven't been fully baked out of the system yet. I think when they are, Xavier will have jumped up a little bit higher. Um, they're 37th in uh, Bart Torvik's ratings. I think they're more of a 37th than they are 48th. But if you look just at, at the Ken Palm, which we all rely on pretty heavily, 25th, you've got Florida State, Colorado, Florida, North Carolina, Clemson, and Ohio State are all in that 20 to 25 range. And those are all really good teams. Um, I don't, I rank teams more on how I feel like they would do up against one another. And at this point in time, I'm not entirely certain I'm comfortable saying that Xavier is, you know, good enough to knock off a Michigan state who's 27th in the Ken Palm right now, or that they're good enough to beat Illinois who's 12th in the Ken Palm right now. I, that's just the way I look at it. Um, media polls are fun and everything, but I believe that the days of giving those a lot of credence are over. They couldn't knock off Michigan state who, just lost to number 57 Ken Palm Northwestern. I didn't say that my way of looking at things was perfect. Okay. <laughs> just I'm just wanting to to understand what you're telling me here. Yeah, um, but Northwestern okay. had 300 fans in that building just absolutely rocking it. And we all know Northwestern plays at Northwestern Stadium or something. <laughs> Big, big place to go. But the Welsh Ryan Arena, like I was saying, hard to win it at Welsh Ryan. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Fog Allen, Welsh Ryan. Empty. Yeah. Um, here's my thing is, I think if I was ranking the teams, I would rank them on the, the because I don't understand math, I would rank them on the strength of what they've done. Um, you know, ranking them based on metrics is fine, but it's speculative. Um, you're speculating that Xavier couldn't beat Michigan State. 
what I can tell you is who Xavier has beat or what they have done already. I think they have one of the best 25 resumes in the country. I don't think they have one of the best 15 resumes in the country because um, they struggled to put away Bradley, Toledo, EKU. Um, but beating Cincinnati, Oklahoma, Marquette, back to back to back, um, those are all good wins. And I think they have, uh, if you if you stack up everybody in the nation based on what they've already done, obviously DePaul's first because they're undefeated. But then after that, I think Xavier is one of the t- top 25 teams based on what they've done. Um, will they stay in the top 25? I, I don't know. I, I don't, I think they'll probably fall out of it at some point, but I think they could end the season in the top 25. And I think right now um, they have one of the best 25 resumes uh, in the country. So Braden, you're the tiebreaker. Who's right, me or Brad? I'm going to side with you on this one, actually. Uh, partially because I'm not a negative Nancy like Brad is, but I do agree that especially, and I know we've said it's a weird season a thousand times by now, but it has been such a weird season for scheduling and stuff. And the fact that we've got eight games in, we're eight and oh, they've not all been pretty as a lot of them have been ugly as a matter of fact, but we do have a solid resume right now. And, you know, the Oklahoma and Marquette wins, you know, they were both ranked higher in the Ken Palm than we were when we played them. And we beat, beat the brakes off Oklahoma and, you know, hit the buzzer beater against Marquette. So I think that, yeah, we do have one of the 25 best resumes in the country right now, just based on the fact that we're 8-0 and we've beat two pretty solid teams. So, you know, top 25, I don't know that we'll stay there. I think the Creighton game will be kind of a big uh, test for us, you know, on the road there. We've not done well there in recent years. But, you know, the stretch of games we've got coming up is really going to be the big test of, you know, are we one of the better teams in the country? So as of right now, I'd say top 25 is a solid bet for us. All right. Um, the, the final quick hit, Brad, if you um, want to just go ahead and get off the podcast now since you lost. Um, but <clears throat> a lot of stuff has been canceled this year, um, obviously. But what's one tradition you're still planning to do or maybe already have done? Um, so, Braden, go ahead. One tradition that I'm still going to be doing is uh, Christmas Eve. We'll head to the Christmas Eve service at church and uh, head out and look at Christmas lights around town. Uh, come back home, have steak for dinner, and just in general, it's the my favorite night of the year. You just get to relax. There's nothing you have to do. I'll probably sleep in until about 10 o'clock on Christmas morning, but the Christmas Eve tradition, I've always enjoyed that, going out to look at Christmas lights. Uh, we've done it ever since I've been around, so that's something I always look forward to, so I'm glad that with everything that's been going on, we'll still be able to do that. Gotcha. Uh, Brad, what about you? Uh, we're going to we're going to do the same thing. Um, our church has been really responsible so far. You got, you know, it's up here in Summit County, we've been in and out of that purple level for a while. Um, so you have to wear a mask to get in and everything. So I'm comfortable going to church and I'm sure we'll have a good time and then go out and look at lights. We always stop at Starbucks and I treat the kids to a decaffeinated drink before we send them to bed. Um but it has been a little bit different, but we found a couple places uh, adjusted their 
what they do and uh the local park system had some of their parks they put christmas lights up along all through the paths and you could go out on a walk uh at night and the paths were lit with christmas lights and trees that they're gonna then go and plant out in some of the fields uh, that was really fun to do and uh it was different it's not what our family usually does but we've enjoyed it um and then christmas morning uh, my wife makes cinnamon rolls that are roughly the size of a grown man's head uh, I'll still be able to wake up, eat one of those, have a cup of coffee. Our kids don't get up very early or anything like that. So uh, despite I've seen a lot of whining on social media, I know that's a huge shock, but I, I've still enjoyed the Christmas season and I'm definitely still going to enjoy the last few days of it that we have left here. Gotcha. Yeah, I I, uh, I always get cinnamon rolls. I get them with the orange frosting, though. I don't I don't know who thought of that, but uh, it works when it works. It works. Um, um, and actually this is the first time my, my wife and I have had Christmas at home since we've been married. Um, cause we're usually at her folks. Um, so yeah, um, I guess we're coming up with new traditions this year. Um, so yeah, it's been a, um, a weird year. It's been a tough year. Um, to be honest, it's, it's not been, uh, probably the year that, that we all thought it was going to be at the beginning of 2020, but, um, thank you guys so much for uh, sticking with us through it. Um, obviously, uh, Xavier's back playing and, and we love talking about that, but um, in all honesty, um, we're, we're so thankful that that every um, that everyone listening has been able to stay safe. And um, I, I, we just hope that you guys um, can continue to uh, stay safe and uh, enjoy Xavier basketball with us. And uh, we will be back uh, next week. Xavier is back in action on Wednesday. Um, they are at Creighton, and so we will be joining you uh, toward the end of the week to discuss that game and whatever else has come up by then. So thanks, you guys, so much for listening, and we will catch you later.